Hey, assalamu alaikum. Just taking a break from a workshop I'm running in London right now on filmmaking. Uh, just thought I'd take a, a minute to create this intro. So the next in the Insight series, discussion with Ilyas Kamani, Imam, uh, qualified psychotherapist, somebody who's been practicing counseling for the last 25 years. Uh, we sat down and discussed Nikah, the Islamic marriage contract. Again, not what I was expecting. I thought I had discussed this thing to death, but as usual, Elias has been able to open my eyes up to what the Islamic marriage contract, the nikah, actually is and how it's viewed and uh, the aspects of it that need to be revived and exactly why it should be taken extremely seriously especially by women it's not something that's to be skated over but you're going to find that out in this episode as usual you can get in touch at divorcemuslimdad at gmail.com you can find me on twitter and instagram at m-o-i-a-z-a-m that's enough from me check it out So it's July 2019. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know about you. Yeah. But there's lots of weddings going on. I'm noticing more weddings. That's normal, just generally, right? Do, do you know what's interesting? This whole wedding business is a massive business now. You know that, Imran. Uh, they're still opening wedding halls, which I thought, you know, in a place like Bradford where, you know, there's a saturation of these things. They're still opening another wedding hall. So I thought, wow, that must mean that it's still a growth industry, which is good in a way that people want to get married. But, you know, sometimes don't you think that people are more interested in the marriage at the wedding day and the whole trappings? Even the guys now, you know. Oh, have I got the right Sherwani on? It's kind of like bizarre, you know. Sherwani. Sherwani, you know, it's like the blingy kind of costumes that they wear. And they want to make sure they've got the right kind of theme going on in their weddings. And uh -huh. the guys are really quite actively involved in it. It used to be, I, I, I suppose, where the, the women and the females played more of an acting role, and I probably still do, but, you know, men, men you know, I did a, a nikah on the weekend where the guy was very, very particular about his dupatta. Okay. <laughs> yeah. His dupatta? His dupatta, his shawl. He was wearing a shawl. That's, that's, but that, that's, and, what, uh, that's what women wear. No, no, no. He had a shawl on. He had, a, he had a, the pagri and the shawl and everything else. Two, actually, the last two ones, the guys have been really kind of particular. And, and you know what I find really annoying is that, you know, obviously, you're doing the nikah. And you're just jostling around with everyone else just to kind of get it. Uh, there tends to be a wedding organizer as well, who's kind of like, seems to be, it's all about me, me, me. <laughs> just the wedding organizer, I find. But, uh, and then all the photography people as well. They got drones up in the sky and they got everything. And, you know, it's a bit annoying because, you know, before we even get ready to do it in the car, they've they spent all this time getting all the photo shots and everything else and the drone shot and this shot and the coming in shot and the Barat shot and all this. Okay, uh, so, I, yeah, so, so if you, if I think about some of the pictures from my parents' wedding. Yes. So my parents got married in the UK. Mm -hmm. um, they, it wasn't arranged. They met each other here. Okay. My mother was studying um, to, was a trainee nurse mm -hmm. and my dad was on the buses. Right. Uh, and it was, I mean, it was a nice affair for the 70s. Okay. Um, I guess it wasn't over the top. It's difficult to say because they didn't have a lot of money. So where is this 
how has this been flipped? How have we gone from a point where weddings are generally, from an Islamic point of view, meant to be quite a, not a humble event. It is a celebratory event. But, of course it's a celebratory But it's then gone beyond that into the realms of, you know, huge costs, large debts, almost the day is more important than the marriage. Well, it's actually not a day. It's actually sometimes five days. It's actually a massive entourage that take, pay, take, place, take part in about five or six different discrete events. Uh, and it's much more than that. Maybe it's got to do with greater disposable income now. Perhaps it's got to do with that. And again, it's to do with fashion trends, you know. And status? I think status. Uh, it's also about, you know, sometimes satisfying the needs of parents as well, you know, rather than actual their actual children. Uh, and I think there is a loss of values, you know, I really think so, you know, and I think sometimes, you know, I, a lot of people ask me to do nikahs, you know, I would say already, I think in this year, I don't know, maybe done about 30 or nikahs, probably. Prob in possibly. six months, you've done 30. Yeah, yeah, easily, I'd say, you know, and, uh, and that's, you know, ranging from the small house nikah in the home to, you know, a little family do, which just direct family members in, in, a, in a kind of, you know, in a restaurant. Uh, you know, I did one in a restaurant recently in Iftar time, actually. The sister insisted, the, the, the woman who was getting married, she's insisted that I want to do the nikah just at Iftar time on the 27th night. Okay, so, you know, yeah, yeah. So, you know, and it was in a busy restaurant where everyone, and I'm there in my gear doing the nikah, doing little beyond, where everyone, all this chaos going around. And yeah, so, yeah, that, you know, so. Hang on, hang on, so hang, on, we hang on, getting married during Ramadan, you know. I, I, you know there's certain things you can't do during Ramadan. Well, you can get married in Ramadan. No, you can't get married in Ramadan. Yeah. There's certain things you can't well, do in Ramadan. Well, obviously you can't, you can't which, have intimacy. Well, yes. This <laughs> Imran, are you saying that that's the only reason people get married is to have, uh, uh, well, have, have sex? Is okay, that fair it? enough. You wait for the Allah 27th. Allah, Allah, actually, no, no, no. Allah says in the Quran, specifically, permitted for you on the nights of the fast. Yeah, you know, nights. nights. Nights of the fast is sexual relationship. Yeah. This verse, what we mentioned in the Hunna libasul lakum antum libasul she is a garment for you or a garment for her, actually refers to intimacy in, in, the, in the nights of Ramadan. So yes, the nights, you know, you still got time. Uh -huh. okay. You still got, you got some time. I suppose they picked the twenty seventh night, so they're not long to yeah, go. Yeah, and, and Alhamdulillah, it's worship, brother. You know, obviously, <laughs> so they're gonna do some special worship on that twenty seventh night. Alhamdulillah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, so all right. Know. So you're coming across these types of scenarios so, where you know, people got, are very particular, very, and it's almost like it's associating some some meaning to the nikah, which is more significant than perhaps it should be. Look, no, no, actually, I, I like it when they associate a strong meaning to nikah. It is an act of worship. This is one of the things I always say. Nikah is an act of worship where you are doing something to bring about Allah Ta'ala's blessings. Okay, you are following in our tradition, the tradition of the sunnah. The Prophet, alayhi salatu he said, Whoever is not of my sunnah is not of me. We're following in his example. Uh, we're doing something which brings about Allah Ta'ala's pleasure, blessings, all of these things. So I think it's brilliant. Yes, of course, it's, it's very important that we maintain our values. and that we. But we have the right objective, the right intention. So what we find is for some couples, yes, the nikah and the, the significance of the nikah is something which is has a long-term impact for them. For others... It's just the, oh, it's just a formality. Oh, we've got to get the nikah done. 
Right. So let's get a celebrity uh, uh, kind of uh, imam. You know, celebrity imam as well, or get someone imam who's going to do a bit. Are, of this you, are you the celebrity? I'm imam? kind of slightly celebrity-ish. Come on, you know. I mean, I've got a, quite a lot. You are of the alternative imam. I, I, I get a lot of demand, you know, and I'm glad because some of them actually, I, I, I like the fact that you know, most interracial marriages they always ask me to come. Where one of the parties, for example, maybe English and another, obviously, you know, not non-English. So they asked me to do this because they know that I will connect with the English family and that I'll be able to engage them. And I do. I fully engage them. You know, when I see, for example, if it's a if a brother or sister who's a convert to Islam and their parents are not, I'll I'll fully engage them in the whole process. It's not like oh, you're just going to be in the in the table in the corner. Yeah, no, I get them in fully involved, and I say to the mum and dad is there anything you'd like me to say would you like to say anything yeah and also i get him to sign the contract as well because you know if it's his daughter getting married you know i want him to be the one who's giving her away as well that's their tradition so there's ways to do it which engages people you mm -hmm. know yeah. and uh you know where they realize that a lot so i, I so we've got a, a whole range of people who for them the nikah is the central point mm. and for others the wedding is the central point do you understand mm. the 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 wedding and the you know the clothing and so I assume the, you're the saying bling. that obviously it's important that the, that the nikah the as a as a as a worship is important to well, well look, you know it's like that the the best example I can use is that a dog is not just for Christmas it's for life you know that 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 campaign yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. From, if you if you grew up in the eighties you remember yeah that. yeah and so the point I'm, we're making here is this year I I really do think. For people, it's just the wedding. There is certain people, it's just that everything is about the wedding. And they don't realize, actually, you know what? I'm going to live with an individual for potentially the rest of my life. We're going to be a couple. We're going to have... Do you know, I'll give you a simple example. We, we're talking a lot about this at the moment because there's actually a campaign that's being run to, legal, uh, to formally register all Islamic marriages. There's a campaign that's being run. I have ob objected to this campaign. Uh, for the simple reason is uh, someone running this campaign who's, uh, who's in the legal uh, profession who says that mainly women, but also men, they don't have legal protection by just having a nikah alone. Hmm. And so therefore, every nikah should be registered so that it's a, therefore a legally, bounded, legally bound civil partnership between two people, which gives people protection on each side. I agree with the sentiment. There should be legal protection because you're right. It's kind of uh, unacceptable that someone, a woman, can be married and then suddenly she can just lose assets and she can has no has no legal protection or right for compensation or anything. It can just be abandoned. So and just left. hang on, just to, just be so, clear here. So the, the law, as far as I understood it from my days yeah, yeah. back in finance, is that a nikah which has been performed abroad is, is, is actually legally correct legally um, recognized here That's in the right, uk yeah. whereas if you are to have a nikah in the uk <coughs> then it is not legally recognized unless it is registered unless it's registered yeah right. and, and certain people who perform and i used to actually be able to do this but no one wanted it uh, that you know you were registered you mean the blokes uh, didn't want it okay no, no most people actually didn't want it they didn't why even wouldn't, why wouldn't it, women uh, want it okay no, so this is <coughs> this is the interesting thing now so this campaign is about driving for registration of all Islamic marriages. I, I strongly object to it because I believe the state has no right to interfere in the religious life of my community. And therefore, the state has no right to decide how I get married, who I get married to. Look, an Islamic marriage contract is as simple as, uh, you know, a man and a woman sitting together with witnesses and exchanging 
uh, you know, uh, the agreement to marry each other, the exchange of the mahar, the wedding gift from the man to the woman, company of the witnesses, no, with free consent, no compulsion, etc., etc., consent of the wali if she is not previously married. If all of that is done, that's it. You know, Imran, it's as simple as she says I do, he says I do, witnesses have acknowledged it, you're married. It's as informal as that. Okay? And, and, and I want to keep it like that because I don't want anyone interfering in my life in terms of who I marry, when I marry them, how I marry them, yeah? Uh, you know, so this is uh, an important thing why I object to the campaign for the registration of uh, Islamic nikahs. And I've had conversations, you know, and it's interesting because obviously people from the Jewish community, Sikh community and Hindu community, uh, they generally do get their marriages registered. Right. Why? Because they want legal protection. Now, what I'm, I'm not saying by not having nikahs registered that I don't want people to have legal protection. I do want people to have legal protection. So, for example... Yeah, but you, just want you don't want state intervention. I don't want state intervention in the matter. That's it, the whole okay, thing. Isn't it slightly a separate issue to that of, of um, people getting married and having nikah and doing it for the purpose, the right reasons rather than the wrong reasons, right? I mean, I, I, pr I appreciate the legal protection is important, um, but I think we're more interested in what nikah actually means to these guys. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and nikah, what it is, the Arabic word, word is akad, which means it is a contract. It's not sacrosanct. It's very important to realize here because, you know, this is, again, uh, around the biggest frustration, you know, I have, you know what it is? is that people are engaging something that they are completely oblivious of what it entails. They're so ignorant of what a nikah is. Is that unique to Muslims? And I think, I think it's quite unique to Muslims because what I found in the Hindu and Sikh community is that when they start to have their, uh, they'll have their religious ceremony and they'll have a civil ceremony and they'll have a very robust legal agreement which protects all parties concerned. Essentially, and I'm gonna, people might not like it. Our community is thick, you know, and, and I know people like, that you are engaging in an act of you're getting married and you haven't even thought about your assets, your legal protection, your thought about future ownership of assets, distri distribution of assets between you haven't even thought about this, these issues, uh, about rights, about responsibilities, about. You know, and everything is just uh, based on, oh, I, you know, trust and sabr and things like this. No, it's a contract. The spirit of Islam predated the prenuptial. The Islamic marriage contract predated the concept of the prenuptial agreement. The prenuptial agreement being the agreement in place that protects an individual's Absolutely. assets in case of yeah. two people parting. Yeah, that's right? it. And you, you see a lot of famous people and wealthy people have these things in place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and now what, what, there's an interesting thing. Obviously, you have also now... So uh, sorry, is that is that something which is uh, encouraged or allowed? Of course within, it is. Absolutely, contract? absolutely. Now look, you know when I do, I, I give everyone the certificate beforehand, and I want obviously name, address, details, and everything else. Yeah. Then it'll be how much mahar. The mahar obviously is the wedding gift from the male to the female, from right. the groom yeah. to the bride, and it signifies her independent wealth in Islam, in Islamic Sharia. A woman's wealth is her own personal and private wealth that her husband has no right on. He cannot demand it. Whereas his wealth is collective, his and hers. Right. And she can actually take from her husband's wealth what is legitimately she requires for her own expenditure. 
This can be stipulated in a contract? This can be stipulated as, and I'll talk about some of the things that I've had where we've had women who, and men who are much more informed, and they put what we call shurut al-aqad, which are the conditions of the marriage contract, and they'll stipulate these things. And, uh, and so the first thing is, when I ask about the mahar, how much mahar? People say this term, shari mahar. Which is a South Asian Sharia Mahar Even Shari- I, don't, I don't know what that is what, Whatever's in the Sharia So they seem oh. to have it It's like £250 or £150 No The Mahar is as much as the female wants That the male is capable of giving Then we so have it's the a negotiation? It's a negotiation Right 1000 2000 So hang on, hang on. This is really interesting Okay yeah, so yeah. Does Because it, you know, look, 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 listen, look, listen. Look, No, 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 no Let me tell you one Let me give you an example A guy marries a woman he says, I'll give her 250 pound mahar. He's earning himself 15 grand a year. Yeah. It, why is he being such a cheapskate? He, he buys probably a pair of shoes more expensive than that. Okay. Now, let's just say, okay, that the marriage lasts one year. He gave her 250 quid and he's, he's gone off after right. a year. No, absolutely no way. I would put someone who's earning 50 grand a year, I'd put a minimum of two and a half thousand pound mahar mm-hmm. into the contract. Mm-hmm. That's a minimum. Hmm. Secondly, I would also put into a condition, and I put this now, people don't like it, and I'd say, okay, if you don't like it, there's a door. Okay, because there has to be legal protection. If he divorces her or leaves her, okay, uh, within 12 months, 18 months, I can sometimes put, without a legitimate Islamic reason or based on immorality or infidelity or et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. he has to compensate to the amount of. Oh, right. Yeah, absolutely. Injury to feelings, abandonment, all of these things, yeah. Wow. You know, and now why it becomes interesting is if you've spent 15 grand on a wedding day, come on, man. Bloody hell, you should be compensated. Now, this is, these are legitimate Shari conditions. Because, and then he'll say, oh, it has to be, and you know, there's an arbitrator who arbitrates it. The guy's cheated on her within a year. Hmm. Vice versa, it can be vice versa. Yeah. She's cheating on him as well, yeah. let's just say. Children on her in, within a year, okay, and uh, and so obviously why we don't do it vice versa. If she's taken two thousand mahar, yeah, and then you know he's divorced, so she has to obviously return mahar to him. Mm. So there's there's obviously some recompense there, yeah. But sorry, generally when couples split, the mahar stays with the woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah obviously, if, if the man, if, if the male conditions been broken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, we're gonna get into those technicalities a bit later on. Yeah. Now the point I'm making here is this: Why aren't isn't someone doing that? Because you know why. You see, this is the thing, this comes to it. Everyone is deluded with a romanticized notion of marriage. Mm. And not the Islamic notion, which is pragmatic to the core. It's not sacrosanct. It's not this romantic thing, this uh, high romanticized uh, little uh, uh, fairy tale type situation. It is a hard and fast negotiation contract between two parties, a male and a female, in terms of how they live their life, rights, responsibilities. So just as on the mahar, Women don't even know. And then you get the idealistic, lovely, beautiful sisters, and we love our sisters, mashallah. And you know what they say? Oh, he can teach me Quran. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> and you know what I say to them? Sister, no, he's going to give you hard cash. And he's going to teach you Quran. Yeah. Do you know what was in mind? Do you remember? Go on, what was it? An iron ring or something? Or, no, no, or, basically. Uh, I mean, with, without packet getting, of what's-its. You know, I've, I've still got a copy of it. <laughs> Go on, mate. Honestly, and when I read through it, I mean, this is 2001, yeah? Mm. One of them is that uh, he will... He would take me on walks in the park. Oh, mashallah. Like, like, That's good. That's beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Like, what? Yeah. As a condition in marriage, he would take me on walks in the park? I mean, you do know you owe about 50 walks. <laughs> you know you owe about 50 That's walks. Like, 
And if I monetize she, she them, I'm, I'm going to monetize those walks. Each walk, walk is worth £25. You do know you owe her something like, you know, 250 quid, yeah? You know the irony is, <laughs> Go on. is that I was the one who liked walking and she didn't. All right, well, that's the one I that. So look, let me give you an example. So this, again, is a kind of distorted, romanticized idealism, which is devoid of the contract. In the time of the second Khalifa, Umar ibn al-Khattab, radiallahu an al-Farooq, he stood up in the masjid of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and he limited the mahar, right? Because he said the women were asking for too much mahar. Right. It's a famous story. A woman stood up, and she said to Al Farooq, "How dare you restrict something that the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam never restricted for a woman?" Held the Khalifa to account. Wow. He said yes. He could not restrict it. And so therefore it's never been restricted. So therefore a woman is required. Can you see the symbol of what is this about? It's so amazing. I get so energized by this and people think, oh, Sharima, oh, just give whatever you want. Oh, this. Like no. there's a technicality. Yeah. And like, actually, it's, like, it's like, actually a really. It's, it's a, a core thing of a symbol of what this is about. And what will make it work and what will not make it work. Mm. And I, okay, I'll give you another example. I had a guy coming to marry a sister. And he had another wife, so it was a polygamous marriage. And uh, and I wanted some... And he came... And this guy was a professional, a highly paid professional. Mahar, 200 quid. Right? Turned up. And I said, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. <laughs> you know what I said to him? <laughs> I said to him, compensation clause? Because mm. I didn't want this guy turning up, marrying her for one month and ditching her. Mm. Yeah? 2,000 pounds. And then he didn't even put any, he said, no, oh, she's got her own money. I've got my own, I won't. No, I said, you have to give her 250 pound a month. I said, it's the honor of a man to do this. Because he's a professional. And he had the capability and I means tested it. So it's, the guy it's, walked, the guy walked. No way. The way he walked, man. See, on the wedding day. This, no, this is really interesting because, <laughs> because like you say, uh, Sister it, wasn't it, happy, but well, you know sure, what? Sure. But no, she, 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 she uh, dodged no, a bullet. She dodged right? a bullet. So, so this idea, you know, the whole romanticized idea, um, that's something which is clearly sold through pop culture and, you know, the culture that we live in. Yeah, and yeah. that's kind of all pervasive around the globe these days yeah. uh, through media. But what this does, it kind of, uh, it, it kind of, uh, what does it do? do? It, uh, it removes. It just, cre yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah. You see it for what it is rather than for what you want it to be. But, but Imran, let's get the, it's, it's about balance as well. Adin is a deen of balance. Wasitiya. I want, of course I want a bit of romanticizing. You know, of course we've got to be a bit romantic and a bit... It's a wonderful event and it's a... You know, who doesn't like fairy tales? At our tales? age, you get a bit sceptical, to be honest. No, no, who doesn't like a bit of fairy tale, yeah? But the point of the matter is, it's got to be matched with some hard and fast pragmatism and uh, clear, rational thinking, you know, head over heart. So you want... You, and, and so, and, and this is... That said, I've just explained the matter of the mahar, which people are oblivious of. And, you know, and some... Look, I've had cases over the years where one brother... Sister clearly said to him, you've got to take me on a hajj. He agreed to it, written into the, as the mahar, one right. hajj trip. They divorced. Sister came out to me, he didn't give me my hajj trip. I went to the brother. I said, yeah, you, you've put you've down. You've got to cover the hajj trip. Three and a half grand that back then. Okay, he did it. Alhamdulillah. Wow. He honored his contract. Wow. He honored Good his on contract. Good on you know, and she went on the hajj. He honored, honored his contract. So, can you see, you know, and when people understand what the spirit of the contract is, now, that's just the mahar part. Then after the mahar, we have something called shurut al-akadiyah, which means the conditions of the contract. So Sorry, here, mahar can be dowry. 
Mahar is the uh, what it's, is the mahar is what is generally translated in the English as the dowry. Yeah, okay, yeah. fine, sorry. Or what we call it, the wedding gift. Now, alhamdulillah, before the times of and, and South Asian culture, as we know, the, the dowry goes from the woman to the man. Yeah. Because the woman is considered in that culture as less superior than the man, of course. Yeah. So what we have is bride burning. This practice that used to be in Hindu culture yeah. uh, for for centuries has been outlawed now, obviously clearly in India, but you know it still has happened where we have acid attacks on. On, on Hindu uh, women who are married because they haven't honored the, the, the dowry. Mm. You know, the, the boy side of the family demand exorbitant amounts of money. Mm. And uh, if the female side is not able to f- meet that, then that's when they used to have bride burning. Now there will be terrible things. We still have some of those remnants in our, in our South Asian Muslim culture as well, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Where not, not in this country. <clears throat> Not in the UK. Well, you do. You still have it here. You still have a lot of expectation on the boy's side. We want lots of gifts. It might not be explicitly stated, yeah? No, I meant the bride burning side. No, 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 no. Something else elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, no, but look. But, but the sentiment kind of underlies it, it, that's still kind of around. The sentiment is there. You know what the sentiment is there? The mother in law's persecution of daughter in laws, yeah? Which we still have. As Isn't a, that universal? Yeah, it's universal, <laughs> but you know, it's more because why, why in South Asian culture. It's kind of like almost given some legitimacy because of this fact that the boy's side is more superior than the female side. You know, that whole mm. kind of misogyny, misogyny that's there. Okay, so going back onto it. First, the nikah is referred to as an aqad. The mm. term aqad is the same word as aqidah, okay, which means foundation. It means two people are building a foundation. The term aqad also refers to tying the knot. So it means two people are tying themselves to each other. Quite brilliant kind of uh, yeah. understanding. How are they tying themselves to each other formally as husband and wife in the company of obviously before Allah Ta'ala and witnesses upon the great, uh, according to the Sharia, Islamic law. But also they're tying themselves to each other materially as well. Mm. If you think about it, you know, mm. res- rights, responsibilities, assets and everything else. So it's got to be governed by obviously some kind of a contract. And isn't it amazing, 1400 years ago, women had the right to contract their own marriage contract. And in fact, in the different madahib, Islamic schools of thought, obviously the general principle is that, you know, for a woman who's not previously married, then she has to have consent of her wali, who's a male guardian, mm. father primarily, mm. then grandfather and patern- maternal paternal uncles, etc., etc. Uh, but certain madahib, the Hanafi madahib in particular, does not require the woman to have the consent of the Famously, yes, famously. Yeah, because what they're saying is that if a woman can contract business contracts, then she can contract this contract as well. But anyway, the point here is it's amazing that the women, women had this right 1,400 years ago to contract their own marriage contract and stipulate in their conditions uh, that they wanted to govern their, their marriage. Now, so then we have the conditions of the marriage contract. And when I say this to people, have you got conditions of the marriage contract? What do you think, Imran? What do you think they say, man? Uh, they either are ambivalent. Okay. Or they're completely ignorant. They ain't got a clue. Yeah. That's generally it. What's that about? Mm. When actually that's the whole essence of what this is. It's the essence of it. It's almost like the structure that you need in order to support the entire relationship. Yeah. It's, it's like... It's like any con- it's like any contract. It's like the, the word contract is important because most people associate contracts with business or employment or you know and it's almost the same within those employment contracts or you know insurance contracts you have got all kinds of clauses in there in order to protect against certain circumstance taking place yes. for the benefit of both parties to be able to contract and so as much as two people are into each other 
they have to be pragmatic as well in there order has to, to be, ensure that they do have those protections in place if things go awry. And and there, and this is there's an overarching principle which is the principle of amana, because a contract is administered through amana, trust, trustworthiness, and look, the hadith of the Prophet obviously a Muslim is always true to their contract. Throughout the Quran, the aqd is mentioned, the contract is mentioned. Those people who are true to the contracts that they make, the aqds that they make. So yes, the whole issue is is, is a very, very important contract uh, aspect of it. Now, most are oblivious. Most haven't got a clue what they're talking about. And then there's another thing. Oh, I don't want to put too much in there because I don't want him to say no. Well, this is the dynamic. This is the reason people why people are scared to stipulate because it's, because it's not just the two people. So they it's renege. They they actually renege on their own legal protection, and that's why I go back into the original point of what we were saying about this campaign for uh, getting legal protection for Muslims. We were ahead of the game, and we took our eye off the ball, and now we are. We are having a nanny state approach to, oh, the reason we need to register it now is because Muslims are basically thick. Because they're not following their religion as per usual, and they don't know the legal protection available to them. And can you believe it? A male or a female will go into a marriage with, a, let's say, a large number of assets, and they will have zero legal protection. How thick is that? Okay. Can we go with ignorant rather than thick? Well, okay, let's call it ignorant. <laughs> I'll call it for what it is. I just think that, you know, really... Have a, have a thought about something that you're doing, which is a life-altering decision in your life. You're getting married. You're spending a life with a person. You're engaging, and yet you don't really take into account. So, in the shoot of the in the condition, some sisters, alhamdulillah, and brothers as well, who I've worked with over the years, the last nearly 25 years, mashallah, they I had one sister. She had pages and pages of stuff. Yeah, and the brother wasn't happy. Hmm. But you know, at the end of the day, it's her right. You know, hmm. and in it were. Lots of issues around. She had literally two pages of A4, okay, mm. conditions of the contract. All of her assets were protected. The right to her for her to work, what would happen when a child is born, how the child will be reared, this. So, you know, lots of issues. Now, let me give you an interesting one I had recently. Because, look, when, when, even though you have a contract, look, still, yes, it's, it's a reference point. But it doesn't necessarily mean a deal breaker either. You know, it, it's good to have a reference point. So, I had uh, I administered a contract where the the bride obviously was going to live with her in laws, because the brother, her husband, was not didn't have the financial means at the time to get her own place. However, he stated within eighteen months, he would try to get her own place. Hmm. Yeah. They would have their own house hmm. in eighteen months, but he was obviously not able to do that. So it's written down. That that she would stay at the in-laws, but mm. then eventually, after eighteen months, move into her own home. Mm. So what happened after eighteen months? I reviewed it, and he didn't have the financial means till then. He was trying, mm. but he didn't have the financial means. And she in the sp there's also what I call there's the uh, of a contract. There's the hakika of it, the reality of it, but the there's also spirit. Yeah, the spirit of the you contract. Know, so in the yeah. spirit of the contract, she says, you know what. Sadaqa, bit of sadaqa, a bit of generosity, a bit of give and take, a bit of rahmat, mercy in, in this. And so she said, okay, fine. You know, he's genuinely trying. So she kind of like said, okay, let's just extend it to another 18 months. You know, so so the contract itself provides a reference point. So, so that she, there is, uh, she didn't go for a no-deal Brexit? No, no, it wasn't no-deal so Brexit. There was an extension of Article uh, 50. Absolutely. And that's the spirit of it, mate. That's the spirit of how it should be, inshallah, yeah? <laughs> that's another contract. Okay, yeah. Look, and another one is an Irish sister who was married to a Libyan. 
quite specific. As you yeah. know, Irish and Libyans tend yeah, to get, no, no, get no, no, together. No. What is that? Why, yeah, why, because I think why did that combination like, work? It, there's a lot of Libyan brothers in Dublin, I think that's what it was, yeah. So, so she, you know, and look, our Libyan brothers, mashallah, tabarakullah, they love the hospitality, they serve a lot of guests. She wrote quite, she's Irish, white Irish. Right. She couldn't handle the cultural elements of serving a guest every night. Right. So she wrote very clearly, I do not serve his guests. Right. He accepted it. That's fine. She would f serve him, obviously, yeah, but she couldn't do the hospitality. Mm. You know, she was, and, and that's good. It is. It does strike me that um, this kind of level of micromanagement, almost micro kind of uh, governance. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and even discussing them. In, mm. And I guess it can come across as quite dispassionate. When you discuss these things, that's right. It's not romantic. It, it doesn't. It doesn't uh, but, but it doesn't. This isn't just the case. I know we're talking about Muslims, but in general, I think in society this is a problem because people are getting together and kind of skating over quite critical issues in order and waiting years down the line. I mean, I hear stories of of women. Hmm. So generally, Muslim women have generally Muslim women have kids younger than the general populace, right? Yeah. The general populace is waiting longer and longer and longer. It's around thirty-five, apparently. Right, thirty-five. Yeah. And you've got that whole biological clock thing going mm, on. Absolutely. And you've got guys who are getting together with women. And it's just ambiguous as to whether or not they're interested in having children. Okay. And they're not having that conversation. And then a woman's reaching her late 30s and getting slightly anxious about it. And then he bails. Yeah. And so it's not just happening within the Muslim community, is it? These conversations... Do you know, I, look, you know what you just described there, Imran? Look, one of the things I always say to... as my, One of my golden rules on, on this is that don't have children until you absolutely in, have a robust, solid relationship to have mm. children. And do not be the case, you know, the number of couples I've, of the years where with, with the female, where the woman's got pregnant within a month or within the first three months. You know, it's, 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 alhamdulillah, of course it's a blessing. And this is what I'm saying, oh, it's a blessing, it's a blessing, it's a blessing. Yeah, it's a blessing, but it's also something which, in a relationship where the two people don't even, are still essentially strangers, mm. you know, is not, a helpful thing sometimes you know mm. so you know do not have children until it's absolutely necessary and then you're right i've had cases where but at least have, uh, sorry at least know whether or not you want to no no but they yeah. haven't even discussed it and they haven't even put it into the conditions right. of the contract don't right. say that all oh, we want but you know just things like this now i'll give you an example there was a a 35 year old sister married a 45 year old or late 40s brother mm. come on and she's never it's first marriage for her second marriage for him yeah right. Uh, professionals and you know she her tick is her clock is going man her biological clock is ticking ticking she is he wants to have three kids by 40 essentially Blimey. he you know what he he doesn't want to have any kids so how are but, they together well you know what I don't they, you know I obviously I arbitrated and mediated in this situation and you know and to the extent she was prepared to trap him into having kids and then he you know became very fractious yeah all because of what? The complete absence of the pragmatism of sitting down and working out what they actually wanted beforehand. Everything was just assumed. Right. Everything is just, people have a good husnulthan, which is a good expectation. Alhamdulillah, I know we're supposed to have good expectation. But look, match it with some real, you know, like I said, honest discussion, agreement, and, uh, you know, maturity. Especially when you're in your 30s and 40s, yeah? Uh, so when it comes to the matters of the conditions of the contract, and this is again where it frustrates me generally, where people are saying that don't you know what this is, what you're doing, how important this is, 
okay, all right, yes, it's not a legal document, but it's a moral agreement between two people that you are saying before Rabbil Alameen, before Allah Ta'ala, you're, you're saying this is what we are doing. Mm. So in that regard, it has an enormous amount of weight. And all you have to do is take that contract to your solicitor and it will be, you know, and you, you, it becomes a legal agreement once you both witness it and uh, uh, accept it, uh, make, make an affidavit based on it, then you, it becomes a legal legally binding and it can be used in any court of arbitration between two people so it's very easy to convert it into a legal agreement just by going to your solicitor and it's not expensive either so you don't have to have a civil registration you just have the prenuptial agreement or you have the legal agreement okay and uh, and then you have your Islamic marriage you've got legal protection you know so but this know. is the theory right because the, the practice is so far removed from this right the practice is so far removed from this how can how can things change? Like what needs to be done to change? It's, it's a cultural thing. No, even no, amongst no. first and second generation. It's not cultural. No, 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 no. It's not. You're right. Of course, there's a cultural element to it. It's just ignorance. If and people, I, if people, I've said, people are a bit thick. Now let me see. And it's also cultural contamination. South Asian Muslims. I'm talking about South Asian Muslims because obviously that's you know my my own personal experience. Although North African and others as well have equally got cultural contamination. In South Asia, we are culturally contaminated from two sources. Okay, first we have the predominant Hindu culture, mm. which has influenced our ideas. Uh, and we have issues around caste there, issues around roles of women, issues around superiority of men, all that kind of stuff, yeah? Mm. We also have a Judeo-Christian contamination that, you know, we looked at the Judeo-Christian... sacred. Okay, and that's it, the concept of the sacrosanct nature of marriage. That, and that's why... Only until the Church of England and, you know, Protestantism did people start to have divorce. And that's why, obviously, Henry VIII became a Protestant away from he rejected Catholicism because the Pope wouldn't give him divorces, mm. whereas, obviously, the Anglican Church did. And um, because the whole concept is that, you know, and don't, don't you see this, uh, uh, Imran, in the Muslim space? You're married for life. Yeah? Yeah, that's And you have to stay yeah. together for life. Yeah. That comes from, do you know, in Hinduism... You don't divorce either. I think you've mentioned this before. Yeah, that yeah. Even when your partner's died. They, the bride burning thing was that when the man, man died, they used to Sa throw... The, Sati, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not a common practice now. Yeah, but, yeah. No, no. And it was an ancient practice yeah. that the woman would also be burnt on the pyre, the yeah. funeral pyre okay. as well. Yeah. And, and then she would wear white for the rest of her life, be venerated as a widow. Right. Or she would, you know, she can't get married again. So we have this, we have this kind of... Uh, it's in the Muslim space, yeah, and here in Bradford, you know, it's there. You know, divorce, the stigma around divorce. Where in Islam did the stigma of divorce come from? There is no stigma on divorce, okay? Yeah. Uh, and you know this hadith that people quote, often quote, it's the least liked of the halal things. Well, you know, this has to be contextualized. Let me tell you why it has to be contextualized. Are you saying that a... An abusive marriage, a marriage which is not fulfilling any of its purpose of providing peace, love and mercy for either party, in which people are deteriorating and people are profoundly unhappy and they've tried everything else, yeah? They have to stay in that marriage? What kind of, what kind of logic is that? Of course, not. in that case, it's actually wajib to divorce, to get out and get married and, and find someone who you will be to happy be, to with. Be honest, to be honest, a lot of arguments people present... You know, um, it's cultural just, it's, bias. No, no, it's just cognitive dissonance. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you have a predetermined position and then you want to find some justification 
for that. So if you don't want, if you don't like divorce, then you can find things within the faith that tell you that divorce isn't that's a good right. thing. That's right. right? Yeah. And that's, that's the case. But, but it comes from that South Asian culture that we have, yeah. you know, where you've got to stay in, in marriage. So what are you saying then about, and about then the, marriage? The, and on the Judeo-Christian side, what it is is this. It comes from a post-colonial inferiority complex where Christianity and the values of Victorian values, you know, Victorian values seeped into, obviously, South Asia. Well, yeah, it's height of empire. Yeah, of course. And and that was seen as the benchmark of what you should be like, a Victorian gentleman, a Victorian couple with that prudishness and that puritanical values and all of that kind of stuff, yeah? And uh, and so people started to aspire towards that. Historically, this is it. A lot of the prudishness in Islam regarding sex comes from Victorian values. It comes from two sources. One where in Hinduism, sex is only for the purpose of procreation, and all that boys in particular, male child, and from Victorian puritanical prudishness as well. These two, and this is not Islam. Oh, hang on, hang on. Okay. How, how comes the Kama Sutra didn't seep its way into No, no, no. The whole Kama Sutra, the concept of the Kama Sutra is a complete uh, uh, anomaly, yeah, a misnomer. Okay, and and you know what I'm saying is that the the whole idea was that this was for the higher priest class castes. Brahmins, uh, yeah, this br- is a Brahmin. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, you can't have the lower castes do, engaging in this stuff. You know, oh, come okay. on. And it obviously, it's popularized more by you know Orientalism, yeah, and it's kind of reinforcement of the lasciviousness of the East and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Okay, okay, rather than hmm. you know, you know, so it wasn't wasn't really meant for us. No, it so wasn't. It its way down it's it's just the... like here in post-industrial society, industrial revolution, yeah. You know, it was about privilege. Working classes weren't allowed to have stuff. Mm. Only the privileged classes <laughs> were allowed to have it. So anyway, but the point I'm making here is this, that, you know, we had these cultural contaminants taking place. There's another contaminant we've talked about, the Romanticism movement, you know. And, uh, and so what they've done is that they've shaped the mindset of, of individuals rather than actually looking at what, Islam says about this and finding what Islam contextualized within our reality also British society states about this as well and uh, and then I, I feel it's a really good balance between what I call head and heart between a really rational and uh, clearly well thought out uh, negotiation between two people about how they live their life okay which has rules which govern it but there's also the spirit of it which is about peace, which is about mercy, which is about justice. You know, these things, silm, adal, rahmah. And it's also about, you know, give and take as well and, and just having gen- generosity and, and kindness in the whole kind of process. So we're, we're coming to uh, the end of this podcast, so I just wanted to cover a couple of things. Um, so... Are you suggesting that people should be prepared to have more than one marriage during their lives? Is that the reality? Is that what we, is that, because look, we're living longer. Yeah. People are not as stable within their relationships as they used to be. We're, we're kind of exposed to a globalized environment where you've got lots of different people with different backgrounds getting together, which seems to be resulting in a lot of fractures. Okay. Right. And divorce. So is that the reality that okay, most right, of us and, are headed and, and, towards and, and, multiple and, and, relationships? Yeah. Yeah. And in order to answer this question, I have to now uh, kind of d- demonstrate it through the example. This uh, another example. When two mature adults who engage in a relation, a consensual relationship with each other, 
that is based on openness and transparency about each other with a clear idea of how they want to live their life together then that is the way that any relationship should obviously take place uh, and if this is done in that way then absolutely fine whether you do it once or ten times that's it simple as that I'll give you an example uh, someone told me recently about a Muslim woman who'd been married five times and he was saying it in a disparaging way in a very negative way and uh, and now she's on her sixth one and it was like almost a bit of a joke oh the sixth guy really he's got to realize there isn't much longevity to it now first it's a sexist discussion because if it was a bloke who's had five marriages they wouldn't be in a disparaging way it'd be like man that guy's a don yeah that guys mm -hmm. are kind of and I said about a sister who married five times and was about married to getting six times, I said, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, the sister chose to do it every single time in a halal way. She chose to be mature about it. She engaged in a consensual relationship governed by a contract so that she, when she wanted to exit, she exited it. Mm. Yeah, she wasn't tied. Mm. She exited it, confident, self-assured, went in, Experienced the relationship, gave it a go, came out, then got married again. And so she did serial monogamy for five times. Each time halal, alhamdulillah, not haram, pleasing to Allah Ta'ala. What's the problem? What is wrong with this? Now this, this sister it would be seen as scandalous today by a lot of our cultural elements. Even though everything she's done is in a, in a halal way and incurs the blessings of Allah uh, but it's, she's seen as somehow something wrong with her and is made a, an, a, 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 an object of ridicule and derision no you know and I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that obviously I would be concerned about the sister's welfare because engaging in relationships can be emotionally quite attacking but again if she's doing it in a mature way in a uh, responsible way in a transparent way so the guy who's number six knows she's been married five times. Mm. It's like a sister, she married a brother who's much older than her, who's had multiple wives. Mm. I said, sister, you know, you're not going to be the one. Mm. She's going in with the romantic notion that this guy's already had close mm. to 20 wives, on and off, and married, divorced, married, and divorced. 20? Yeah, because he was a very high-value kind of individual, okay. and, and a lot of women, he had multiple wives, and, uh, you know, he... Obviously, over the years as well, he was, uh, you know, probably I think he's actually now in his 80s, you know, subhanAllah, this particular individual, yeah. Right. And uh, so, anyway, uh, the sister's going in thinking, I'm going to be the one. Sister, you're not going to be the one. You're going to be one of many. Right. Just be open, open your eyes up. You'll be one of many, yeah? Because that's been his pattern. And he's not saying anything out there. He's not pulling you a line that suddenly, oh, you're going to be the one. He's not pulling you the line. He's saying that, you know. So you're gonna have your moment with him. You probably enjoy it. You'll get what you want out of it. You'll exit it. That's it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. People will say, Elias, you are just off your rocker." What you're saying. Well, people no. have accused you of, you know, you're condoning um, kind of basically illegitimate relationships under the under the veil of Sharia. No, this is how it has always been. Mm. This is how it was in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and the companions that they were married and divorced and married and divorced yeah and uh, and that you know 
the, but the key thing was that in that society, women also were allowed to do this. You know, they were not exempt from this because it was not considered right when you have a large number of women who are unmarried. We have this, you know, we have a real problem in society because the pool of eligible men to the pool of eligible women, okay, there are far more women to men, mm. you know, in terms of what we call eligible pools. And then we have a high rate of, uh, you know, women are doing much better in a, on an educational, vocational and social level. Than when you men. say eligible, you mean? Eligible, available to marry. Yes, okay. in, in what way? So okay. you're just talking about numbers here? No, or? no, purely in terms of numbers. Okay, numbers. Purely right. in terms of numbers. Right, right. Okay. And also in terms of the women that the the, the, the uh, How about the quality difference? Yeah, quality as well. That's the whole thing. That that makes the pool even smaller and smaller. There's interesting research that was done on African American communities where what they found out was because African American men and the involvement in criminality, gangs, violence, premature death due to all these things, the lack of professional men and that this isn't you know this is talking about the kind of urban working class kind of situation yeah it's mm. not making a judgment about all african-americans here uh then and then black african-american women were doing much better mm. so therefore for that the pool of 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 african-american women mm. to africa and also the african-american men were marrying white women as well so that was also creating then you also have to factor in a certain percentage of gay men Right. <laughs> OK, so therefore the pool gets smaller and smaller. OK, and it was literally in pockets of America. The number of eligible women to men is double, literally double. It sounds like you're describing what's happening here. As no, well. no, no. But Amy, the, like, the, now, the point is, is now if those women are not married and look, remember, there's an interesting thing in America where generally there's a bit of a segregation that African-American women were not marrying white men. So mm. whereas the, the men were marrying white women. Mm. OK. What this then creates is a whole number of women who are unmarried. Now, obviously, if that, oh, that we, we have that, don't we? That creates a social challenge yeah. because then women will then seek relationships outside of the institution uh -huh, of marriage. Uh -huh, yeah. Obviously, if you're not Muslim, then obviously, you know, your moral uh, kind of... Uh, well, your pool is larger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. But, but they weren't being... The, the African-American women were not able to... Their, their pool was smaller. That was the whole point uh -huh. because they were actually didn't have the same opportunities you know and uh, and remember they want the eligible men you know yeah they probably could get married to a guy who is just you know not the person that they want to marry yeah more or less yeah so sorry sorry listen you're yeah. describing from what i can hear and you you are in the heart of this you're describing what is actually happening here in the uk so that's an example from the states but women are performing blokes educationally yes right that's yes. been going on a long time so okay. therefore the difference, the pool of eligible men is smaller for the... For okay, the let's look at how many sisters, Muslim sisters are out there who have master's degrees. Guess what? Way more. Way more than the number of Muslim men who have master's degrees. Yeah. There were guys who have master's degrees already getting snapped up. Yeah. So therefore, you know, therefore that pool gets smaller and smaller. You know, oh, so she does she have to marry someone with a master's degree? No, I'm just using that as a gay kind of... It tends to happen. Yeah, no, it no, just I'm doing, no, no, no it's just talking about vocational and social level of compatibility. Yeah? yeah, You know, so there are there are these real kind of challenges. So the point, one of, one of the points, that's a really big point that we're making today, I think, is this, that, uh, that, you know, the whole concept of marriage is just not dealing with the social reality of what's going on in society. It's not contextualised within people's lived reality. Mm. It's just like almost like you know I come I do my my bit 
Mm. Okay, and it's very entertaining when I do it in the car, alhamdulillah. Do you dress like, up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Depends on how they want me, whether it's a suit or a thobe or whatever, you know, so inshallah. One was, I uh, did a, uh, a marriage, it was a 1950s uh, theme. What yeah. did you wear? I wore. Trilby? No, 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 no. I, w I went as Marlon Brando. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the, you know, the, the, you know, no, 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 the biker one, biker, oh, biker, um, man, uh, wild one, wild one, man. Yeah. <laughs> Godfather, you were in a tuxedo. Oh, no, 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 I went as Marlon Brando is in the wild one, yeah. So, uh, but anyway, look, alhamdulillah, the point, <laughs> point here is this, yeah, uh, you know, that, um, you know, everyone just fixates on the, 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 the event of the wedding day. Mm. Everyone, oh, and you know when you, I hear it all the time. Oh, my my my, my so and so is getting married. It's about six months down the line. We'll stop planning six months earlier. Six months all is a the, short time. Yeah, yeah, days. whatever. And everything's on hold until this is done. Yeah, and uh, you know, I know it's a lot of stress. You know, we haven't even got into all the discussions around all the ridiculous expenditure that takes place. I don't think this is in the spirit of Islam at all, personally. You okay, know? so so. If people are considering having a nikah, they're already, you know, there's, it, it's hap we're in wedding season. Yeah. It's going on. People are making plans for next year or whatever. Um, how can they get practical without ruining their wedding? Look, <laughs> this uh, is the question. Uh, you know, and, and okay, so you know what a mature couple, right? yes. you know what a mature couple do? They'll come down. And you know what? They'll do this with a priest and a rabbi, yes. even a pandit yes. or a guru, yes. okay, but not with the imam. Come down, sit with me before. You know the number of couples who have done this over the year, just like a handful of couples. They come and have a pre-marriage session with me. How about me. family involvement? Okay, no, no, I don't want him. You don't, don't want family involved? Look, if I'm dealing with mature adults, fine, yeah. But if a lot they can of the time it. you're not, the early twenties. Yeah, yeah, then okay, I don't mind a bit of positive family involvement. But if we're having stupid nonsense, cultural nice nonsense from people, yeah. Alhamdulillah, I just did it recently where the young, a young couple, mashallah, I'm going to be doing them. Uh, Nikah in September came down and we sat down. We had a really good discussion about all of the issues around assets, around expenditure, about rights, responsibilities, and about him moving out eventually to get her own place. So we did all of that. Alhamdulillah, lovely boy, mashallah, Allah bless them both. Yeah, and uh, so you know that's what he, that's the way we do it. And we discussed the wedding contract. And I said, this is what, and I discussed all the day. This is what's going to happen. Da, 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 da. Yeah, and we discussed kids. They said two years, no kids. Alhamdulillah, brilliant. We discussed everything. You know, that's how it should be. That's a mature approach. I did this with another older couple as well. And we went through there a lot around expenditure, monthly expenditure, two families, two different towns, when they would meet, how they would meet, all that kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, you know, so that's have the pre-marriage uh, meeting with the imam who's going to do your nikah. And also, I'm stipulating now quite clearly, Imran, that... Because I've done the nikah, I will also do the family mediation if there are any disputes. And also, I will preside over the divorce, you know, because unfortunately, love can turn to hate. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Divorce Muslim Dad. Totally appreciate you taking the time to listen. Get in touch at divorcemuslimdad at gmail.com or on Twitter or Instagram at M-O-I-A-Z-A-M. Please do leave a review on iTunes. So far, you've been very kind. It's five star, which is brilliant. And uh, I suppose the most important thing is do share it. Do share it with people you think would 
like to hear it. It's meant to be an open forum and I'm absolutely desperate, desperate to get a female perspective on this channel. It's not like I'm not trying. I've reached out to one or two people who I feel really could add a lot of depth and an interesting perspective, a different perspective. But um, yeah, if you know anybody or if that's you, please do get in touch whether you're, you're in the UK or abroad. Uh, we'll work out a way to do it. Getting a female perspective on here is absolutely priority number one. See you next time.